Hello, and welcome to Words on Film, the spoken word podcast dedicated to moving pictures. I'm Dan Burke, your host and movie critic, and I'm here to tell you exactly what I think of some of the latest movies out right now. For this show, I have one brand new movie to review for you. Another one is one that premiered last week, and the third one is one in which I am playing Oscar catch-up. So I've got a lot to talk about today. The first movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. This is a film that premiered in theaters on February 17th, 2022. It is the third of the Ant-Man movies or the Ant-Man and the Wasp movies. The last one came out in 2018. That one was called Ant-Man and the Wasp, which was a sequel to Ant-Man from 2015. And it is the 31st film of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I predicted, would kind of go downhill after the events of the Battle for Earth, which was depicted in the Avengers Endgame. But it's sort of been sputtering and stalling with some films, two out of the three of the ones that came out last year. But it regained its footing with Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. I wouldn't say that Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is as good as Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, but I thought it was still better than the other MCU films that came out the previous year, and it was true to the characters here that are played by Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, and the others. So in this film, which not only takes place after the other Ant-Man movies, but it also takes place after... Well, basically all the other Marvel Cinematic Universe films, but most especially The Battle for Earth. Scott Lang is reprised here by Paul Rudd as he is sort of enjoying semi-retirement. He's become not only very well known for being Ant-Man, but he's also become a successful memoirist and has been living happily with his girlfriend Hope Van Dyne, who is also known as the Wasp, and she is reprised here by Evangeline Lilly. So they're living a comfortable life in San Francisco, along with Lang's now teenage daughter Cassie, who is played by Catherine Newton. And they're enjoying their life together. They also live with Dr. Hank Pym, who's reprised here by Michael Douglas, and his wife Janet Van Dyne, who's played by Michelle Pfeiffer. And things are copacetic until Cassie reveals that she has been working on a device that can make contact with the quantum realm. So the quantum realm is what was known as the microverse in the Marvel comics, but it is a minuscule dimension that can only be entered through subatomic particles. It was where Michelle Pfeiffer's character, Janet Van Dyne was stranded for 30 years before being rescued. Now you might remember from the very end of Ant-Man and the Wasp that Scott Lang was also stranded there for five years. And the reason he was stranded there is explained both at the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp, as well as at the very end of the Avengers eight, um, the movie where it looked like Thanos was winning. Um, so anyway, 
He was stranded there for five years, although he only experienced uh, five hours or so it seemed in the realm before making his way out of there. But anyway, when Cassie reveals that she's been working on this device that makes contact with the quantum realm, although I was a little bit fuzzy as to what she was planning to do when she made contact with the quantum realm, Janet panics and tries to shut off the device, but... Unfortunately, when the message from Earth to the quantum realm has been received, it ends up with the the five main characters here, Ant-Man, the Wasp, Dr. Hank Pym, Janet Van Dyme, and Cassie Lang all being sucked into the quantum realm. And they are also separated. Lang and Cassie are found by natives who are rebelling against their ruler while Hope, Janet, and Pym explore a sprawling city to get answers. They're both trying to get out of there, but they also find that there is a certain entity that is ruling the quantum realm and using it for his own purposes, and his name is Kang the, the Conqueror, who is played by Jonathan Majors. And Jonathan Majors is one of those actors who is not particularly a household name, but you've probably seen him in other things. I could go on and on about the other movies and TV shows in which he's acted, but in this movie, he's he's probably had his biggest role to date. And Kang the Conqueror has a history with Janet Van Dyne in the 30 years that she's been in the quantum realm. And maybe I didn't explain what the quantum realm really is. As I said, it was based on the microverse from the Marvel comics. It's basically the microscopic universe that somebody has to reach when they shrink to a level that's probably even below cells. So very, very small. And it was originally called the microverse in the Marvel comics, but the microverse is actually a copyrighted name from the toy line Micronauts, which is owned by Hasbro Studios. And it was only until there was a real-life quantum physicist and California Institute of Technology staff researcher by the name of Spiros Mikalis, who actually suggested, uh, excuse me, Mikalikis, who suggested the new name. So these people, these five people are in this microverse, for lack of a better term, and they're trying to figure out both how to bring down Kang the Conqueror, who may be smaller than Thanos, but he could arguably be more powerful than Thanos as well, or at least give Thanos a run for his money, while also trying to return to the larger universe on planet earth. And those are the six main people upon whom this movie focuses. There are a lot of other minor characters, including one by the name of Lord Krylar, who's played by Bill Murray in an all too brief performance. You learn that he's had a relationship with Janet Van Dyne when she was stuck in the quantum verse. And that does lead to a certain plot development, but I thought that Bill Murray was in the movie for too short a time, but hopefully we'll see him in other MCU movies and maybe I'm giving away what became of his character, but he could make a return and hopefully it's a better one. But I overall enjoyed Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. I thought it was certainly 
fitting to the same sort of tone as the other Ant-Man films. Paul Rudd, of course, is likable as usual. I did think there was a little too much going on within the quantum burst, and there were some parts that surprisingly dragged with all the advances that were going on in the story as well as the technology within this quantum verse. But overall, I liked the film. I, I definitely would not rate it as low as the Doctor Strange movie and the Thor movie that came out last year. But Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is a movie to which I would give my rating of a marginal knockout. It certainly doesn't live up to Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, but I did enjoy it for what it was, and I'm also very excited to see what other developments there are to the characterization of Kang the Conqueror, because as I said, he's a very good villain in this movie. Not only is he very evil, but he also has a charismatic side, which makes you understand how he could be so influential. And there is a scene at the, or near the end credit scene. It's not at the very end of the end credit scene, but there is one that could suggest his return. And it looks like regardless of his size, it's going to be a big bang of a return. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Your Place or Mine. This is a film that came out on Netflix. It is a Netflix original, and it originally came to the platform on February 10th, 2023. So it definitely came out a little while before Valentine's Day and probably not by accident either. It's a movie that stars Reese Witherspoon and Ashton Kutcher as two people who didn't exactly have a romantic past, but they did hook up one time and they've sort of remained friends ever since their hookup 20 years prior to the start of this movie. And when we are properly introduced to the two of them after their hookup, Reese Witherspoon is a single mom who lives in L.A. and works at her 13-year-old son's school. And Ashton Kutcher is a successful image consultant who lives in New York City, has a very enviable loft in New York City overlooking the Manhattan Bridge. But he is a womanizer, but who's also very lonely. And because this movie stars Reese Witherspoon and Ashton Kutcher and they start out as friends, you know that something is eventually going to develop between them. But the tables kind of turn with these two when Reese Witherspoon's character needs somebody to babysit her son when she goes to New York City to take some extra classes to earn another degree. And Ashton Kutcher, out of the goodness of his heart, his character, flies to L.A. to look over her son for the week that Reese Witherspoon's character is in New York City. 
And so Ashton Kutcher's character learns how to become sort of a loving surrogate father to her repressed 13-year-old son. And Reese Witherspoon is learning how to get out of her comfort zone as well. And even though they are three time zones apart, you kind of know how the story goes. I think it actually is kind of unique. I've, I've seen the story before of two people who, two very attractive people who are friends who ultimately develop a kinship for one another that goes beyond friendship. But I thought it was actually very unique that the two of them would fall in love while being (laughs) several time zones apart. And there's also some other elements in this film you might expect, like the best friend. In Reese Witherspoon's case, it's a woman by the name of Alicia, who's played by Tig Notaro, who works at the same school that she does. And she also develops a friendship with a woman with whom Ashton Kutcher's character hooked up by the name of Minka, who's played here by Zoe Chow, who seems to be destined to be the best friend in a movie. And also Ashton Kutcher meets an eccentric gardener who lives next door to Reese Witherspoon's character, whose name is Zen, who's played by Steve Zahn. And his character, I think, was a bit extraneous and also a little bit too weird. Plus his motivations, as you go through the film seem a bit nefarious in the grand scheme of things. But Reese Witherspoon's character is named Debbie Dunn and Ashton Kutcher's character is named Peter Coleman. And I think I've told you just about everything else about them, but the movie is very charming. It, it seemed a lot to me like a Nancy Myers film, but actually the director and the sole writer of this film is Aline Brosh McKenna. And some of her other directorial efforts include episodes of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and also one episode of the TV show Arranged. So Your Place or Mine is her directorial debut. In terms of being a screenwriter, she has previously written such other, uh, other such movies and TV shows as, well, I'll, I'll just keep with the, uh, the movies here. She's written such romantic comedies as the devil wears Prada. She wrote the screenplay for that. Also 27 dresses. And I don't know how she does it. She also wrote the Cameron Crowe film. We bought a zoo, which was based on a true story. And she wrote the story for Cruella. So She's definitely got some good writing chops. In terms of her directorial effort, it does resemble Nancy Myers, but I think for a very uh, for a first film, she does a good job with it. It's just some elements of the film are somewhat predictable, including Reese Witherspoon and Ashton Kutcher falling for one another. But with that said, I thought that Reese Witherspoon did well playing a, a down-to-earth woman who also <clears throat> has an affinity for her 13-year-old son and gives them things up in the process. And Ashton Kutcher plays a guy we probably shouldn't like, but because of Ashton Kutcher's charm, we do. And I got to say that while there were elements of this movie that were predictable, it it had a certain um, talent for, shall we say unpredictability that elevated itself amongst uh, above a lot of other romantic comedies, especially those that air on the Hallmark channel, which is why I give your place or mine, my rating of a checkout. I think if you hate romantic comedies, you're probably not going to like this film. 
if you love romantic comedies, you certainly will like this film. I do think there were some elements of unpredictability that, as I said, made this movie a bit more worth watching. I enjoyed it. I just didn't love it. But I do think that director and writer Aline Brosh McKenna does have a very promising directorial debut or feature film directorial debut with this film. And I actually am very excited for what she comes up with next. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is The Banshees of Inna Sharon. This is a film that came out months ago. Um, specifically, it came out in October in the United States. And it's a film that I've been meaning to get to. As a matter of fact, of the 10 Best Picture nominees, there are two that I haven't seen. Uh, the, the two that I haven't seen as of the date of the show are All Quiet on the Western Front and Triangle of Sadness. Now, All Quiet on the Western Front is a Netflix original that I just haven't gotten around to seeing in terms of the, the time that I have. But The Banshees of Inna Sharon is a film that I finally got to see thanks to HBO Max. And it was one of those films that I remember coming out in theaters in late October or early November, but I just did not get around to seeing it until now. And thank God that I did because it is an amazing film. It's probably one of those films that had I seen it in 2022, it would have been in my top 10 list. But The Banshees of Inna Sharon is an original film written and directed by Martin McDonough, and it stars Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. And this is, the fir- this is the first time that Martin McDonough has directed Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson since the film In Bruges, which came out back in 2009. And In Bruges was not only a very well-received film, but it was also Colin Farrell's comeback vehicle because Colin Farrell, even though he was in some very high-profile movies in the aughts, was kind of going the way of Charlie Sheen in terms of being taken seriously as an actor to a certain degree, but his personal life was almost undermining some of the great films in which he acted. Fortunately, he kind of averted the path of Charlie Sheen and is now considered a great actor in his own right. Although the movie Alexander, which was directed by Oliver Stone, almost derailed his reputation as an actor, but fortunately he got it back. And I think that the Banshees of Inna Sharon is one of those films that if Colin Farrell continues to behave, will solidify Colin Farrell's reputation as a person and most especially as a thespian. But the Banshees of Inna Sharon is a movie that takes place in Ireland. It takes place on an island off the coast of uh, mainland Ireland. And it's about two lifelong friends who 
find themselves at an impasse when one abruptly one abruptly ends their relationship with alarming consequences for both of them. So even though there seems to be about a 20-year age difference between Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, they are actually really good friends in real life, which makes it all the more surprising that not that they play lifelong friends here, but that they convincingly play two friends who are surprisingly growing apart. And they're kind of being pushed apart as a result of Colm Doherty, who's played here by Brendan Gleeson, basically telling his younger friend, Padriac uh, Soliban, who's played by Colin Farrell, that he just doesn't want to see him anymore. And it's not anything that Colin Farrell's character said or anything that he did. It's just Colm wants to be alone. And the consequences are not quite because of Colm's desire to be alone, but it's almost with Padriac's Padraic's, um, resistance to end their relationship, which is very hard to do considering that they live on a very remote island in the early 1920s where... Everyone knows everyone. Everyone goes to the same pub and they go to the same church. And also, uh, there are some interesting relationships amongst all the people who live on this very close-knit community, particularly uh, Padraic's relationship with his sister, Chauvin, who's played here by Carrie Condone. And... At least I think that's how her name is pronounced. Again, I'm a very proud person of Irish descent, but there are some Irish names that, sadly, I don't know the pronunciation of. But, again, this movie takes some very weird and twisted directions, but I loved the acting in this film, and I also loved its lack of predictability. And I also really felt for the main characters, both the um, friend Colm, who wants to be alone, and also for Padraic for (laughs) needing a friend. And also he finds that as he keeps pursuing this friendship or trying to rekindle it, it also costs him some other things, some as a direct result of Colm's resistance, as well as some some of the ways that the other people in this town react to him trying to persist in rekindling this relationship. Now, the scenery of this movie, The Banshees of Inisherin, is incredible, and the the shots of the coast as well as the high cliffs that align this coast of this Irish island are incredible. And it's it's so amazing that the town of Inisharan is actually a fictional one, which makes me wonder what how they came how Martin McDonough came up with the name Inisharan. It definitely sounds like an Irish name, but it's it's really the 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 town in the movie is looks so authentic and and seems so real that it's kind of a wonder why Martin McDonough made up the name in a Sharon and didn't just film it at at some Irish town and take the name of that Irish town. But 
Regardless, The Banshees of Inisherin is not only a great Irish movie, it is a great movie period with acting that's very well done by just about everyone. It's sort of a dark, tragic comedy because the things that Brendan Gleeson's character does to himself are very ill-advised and comes at the cost of not only his own life, but also his livelihood as well. And even though Colin Farrell's character doesn't practice the same kind of physical mutilation that Brendan Gleeson's character does, which I won't give away. He still takes part in another kind of mutilation, which he doesn't seem aware that he's doing. And he makes some very dumb decisions, but also some very understandable ones when it comes to the heat of the moment. But the Banshees of Inisherin is a movie that's very funny in some instances, very sad, but it's a movie that is absolutely unforgettable, which is why The Banshees of Inisherin gets my rating of a knockout. It's a movie that I'm very glad that I saw. I'm very glad that HBO Max was able to have it available for me to stream. And the same can't be said for one of the other Best Picture nominees, Triangle of Sadness, which I'm trying to see, but it's not going to be coming out on DVD, Blu-ray, or 4K for another couple of months. It will, however, be released by the Criterion Collection, but The Banshees of Inisherin is a lovingly original film by Martin McDonough, and it is nominated for several Oscars. Not surprisingly, Colin Farrell is nominated for Best Actor in a Leading Role, Brendan Gleeson is nominated for Best Supporting Actor, and Carrie Condone is nominated for Best Supporting Actress. I don't know if they're going to win their respective awards, but I do have the feeling that this film will win Best Original Screenplay, but it has direct competition with Everything Everywhere All at Once. But regardless, in a year of great films, this is cert- The Banshees of Inisherin is most certainly one of the films that is worth checking out. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host, movie critic, Dan Burke. And now that I've reviewed all the movies that I have to review for you for this show, it's now time for me to get into my next segment, which is What's Coming Up Next. This is a spoken word preview of movies that are subject to being released in theaters for the week of February 20th through February 24th, 2023. And there's one movie that's coming out on Monday, February 20th, that's coming out in theaters by way of Fathom Events and will only be shown in theaters for one night only. But knowing the state of the movie industry, it will probably be released on streaming before you know it. But the movie is called The Confession. The music, oh, excuse me, the confession musical. 
And this is a movie about two worlds colliding when a young Amish girl discovers she was adopted by a wealthy family. After she seeks her birth mother, overcomes the obstacles of a lost fiancé, and a crafty gold digger who seeks the fortune... Oh, excuse me. Uh, man, this this description was uh, not very well written. But anyway, this young Amish girl uh, seeks her birth mother, overcomes the obstacles of a lost fiancé, and a crafty gold digger who seeks the fortune of her birth mother. And it looks like this film is a stage show, which looks uh, pretty interesting. Is it a film that I would seek out? It could be. Um, I'm definitely not ruling it out, but I would uh, be very interested in seeing this movie as it is certainly very unique. The movie stars John Schneider, Chandra Pierce, Caitlin Borek, and Caroline Clay, just to name a few. If I do see this movie, and it's a big if, I will let you know what I think on next week's show. On February 24th, there are several movies that are going to be released in theaters. The biggest one is a movie that's called Cocaine Bear, which sounds like a comedy, but it's more like a thriller that is, interestingly enough, based on a true story. It's about an oddball group of cops, criminals, tourists, and teens who converge in a Georgia forest where a 500-pound black bear goes on a murderous rampage after unintentionally ingesting cocaine. This film is directed by Elizabeth Banks, the actress, whose previously whose previous directorial credits are uh, several. But this is a movie that apparently takes its subject matter seriously, even though it is quite ridiculous. This movie stars Ray Liotta in his very last movie. Uh, and of course, this film was released posthumously. It also co-stars Carrie Russell, Margot Martindale, Matthew Rees, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., and several other people. Oh, also O'Shea Jackson Jr. is in this film as well. Cocaine Bear is a film that sounds absolutely ridiculous, but it's a film that I will see, and I will let you know what I think on next week's show. Another movie that is subject to being released in theaters on February 24th is a movie that has actually had several preview screenings at uh, to date, and the movie is called Jesus Revolution. And even though it's had preview screenings, I have not actually seen it yet. But this is the true story of a national spiritual awakening in the early 1970s and its origins within a community of teenage hippies in Southern California. This movie definitely sounds like a faith-based film. It is co-directed by John Irwin and Brett McCorgle. John Irwin wrote the screenplay along with John Gunn, and it is based on a book of the same name written by Greg Laurie. The movie has some familiar faces, some not. Among the familiar faces include Kelsey Grammer, Kimber Kimberly Williams Paisley, and that seems to be about it. The other actors in this film include Nicholas Cirillo, Jonathan Romy, Joel Courtney, and Julia Campbell, amongst other people. This is a film that, again, I will give a fair shake to because I know this is a faith-based film. And some faith-based films are indeed better than others, but Jesus Revolution is a film that I will see, and I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. Another film that is subject to being released in theaters on February 24th is a movie called Mummies. And Mummies is an animated film that may or may not 
be coming to a theater near you. It certainly seems like a candidate for streaming. And the movie features the... uh, uh, It's not telling me very much because my internet is slow right now. But some of the... um, Some of the actors in this film who provide their voices include Sean Bean, Joe Thomas, Eleanor Tomlinson, and Santiago Winder. And now my internet's working for me, so I'll tell you the plot. It is an animated film, and it follows three mummies as they end up in present-day London and embark on a journey in search of an old ring belonging to the royal family stolen by the ambitious architect Lord Carnaby. And the mummies in in question here, again, because my internet's very slow, I assume are mummies that are uh, buried in Egypt, you know, something like that. But I can't tell you very much more than that because the internet is really just getting on my nerves right now. But Mummies is a film that I may see, and I'll let you know what I think on next week's show if I do see it. Another movie that is subject to being released in theaters on February 24th is a movie that's called My Happy Ending. This is a movie that stars Andy McDowell, Miriam Margulies, and other actors, and it is about a famous star, played by Andy McDowell, who finds herself in a British hospital room with three other women who help her. Help her with what? I don't know, but this is a movie that is based on a play that was written by Anat Gove, and the screenplay was written by Rona Tamir. And the movie, as I said, stars Andy McDowell, Miriam Margulies, and also co-stars Tom Cullen, David Walliams, Sally Phillips, and Tamsin Grieg. So other than Andy McDowell and Miriam Margulies, I don't know the other actors in this film, but it's a film that I might see. It looks like it's coming out in limited release. And if I see it, I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. And there is one final movie that is subject to being released in theaters on February 24th, and the movie is called Quackers. Quackers is an animated adventure comedy that features the voices of Stella Stevens, Kimiko Glenn, Ted Raimi, and Viva Bianca. But on top of that, I can tell you that it is about a duck, a young duck by the name of Max, who joins a force of other ducks as they live in an island where bad dogs come out of life. Uh, I don't know if this is a film that is... I know it's animated and it's feature length. It's one hour, 40 minutes. But I don't know if the film is um, intended for children or not because when dogs come out and hunt after ducks, it may not be a film that's suitable for children. But it's a film that I will give a fair shake if I do, in fact, see it. And if it's coming out in a theater near you then that's great, but I don't quite know what to say about this film because it's not telling me very much other than that description in the cast. But if I do see it, I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host, movie critic Dan Burke. 
And now that I've given you all the movies that are subject to being released in theaters for the week of February 20th through February 24th, I'm now going to get into my next segment of what's coming up next, which is where I tell you the movies that are subject to being released on streaming platforms for the week of February 20th through February 21st. Uh, Excuse me, February 24th. That's the Friday. So anyway, starting with Netflix, there is one film that will be appearing on Netflix but not premiering on there. And it's a 2018 movie that came out that year that's called Operation Finale. It came out on August 29th of that year, and it's a film that was Oscar bait, but ultimately didn't go anywhere, mainly because it was very slow, in my opinion, and not particularly uh, fulfilling in the end. But it's about a team of secret agents who set out to track down the Nazi officer who masterminded the Holocaust. The movie stars Oscar Isaac as one of the investigators and Ben Kingsley as Adolf Eichmann, who is one of the masterminds behind the Holocaust. And this is a true story. It's probably been fabricated here and there for dramatic effect. But even though Ben Kingsley being part Indian like he is, seems like an unlikely choice to play a Nazi officer. He is actually one of the best parts of this film. But the movie has them going to South America, tracking down Adolf Eichmann, and bringing him back to Europe to stand trial. Not in the Hindenburg trials, but a trial that came after that, that actually aired on TV in 1960, and was the very first TV... um, program that detailed the horrors of the Holocaust. So it ended on a very high note, but I didn't think it was the the best film ever, but I can certainly see how it could be seen as Oscar bait, but I did think Ben Kingsley was good in it. It's not going to be a film that I will review for next week's show because I've already seen it, but you can view it for yourself and maybe you'll disagree with me. Um, on Monday, February 20th, or after that, which is when it will appear on Netflix. But the original Netflix films that will be appearing on the platform include one film that will be premiering on Netflix on Wednesday, February 22nd, and that movie, which will be premiering, is called The Strays. And The Strays is a film that I could tell you about, except the internet is being very slow, for me right now. I could say that it's an animated film. It could be one about dogs or it could be strays in a metaphoric sense, but I don't know because this, this internet is being very testy with me, but actually it just started to kick in and the strays is a live action film. It's a drama and a thriller that actually, now that I'm reading the description of it looks very intriguing It is about a black woman's mysteriously crafted life of privilege that starts to unravel when two strangers show up in her quaint suburban town. The black woman who is the uh, lead in this um, movie is played by Ashley Medeque, and the supporting actors include Michael Warburton, Justin Salinger, and Caroline Martin, amongst other people. It's a movie that sounds particularly intriguing, Um, but I don't know if I'm going to see this film. If I do, I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. Another movie that is premiering on Netflix 
on Thursday, February 23rd, the day after The Strays, is a movie that's called Call Me Chihiro. And I don't know who would use that term. (laughs) I, I guess if you want to call someone Chihiro, you can. It's just a name that doesn't roll off the tongue particularly well. But I assume that this film is a foreign film, but the description is coming up as I am stalling for time right now and trying to get (laughs) this description (sighs) loading, but damn it, this, uh, this internet is acting kind of wonky on me today, but fortunately it hasn't cut out my live feed on Facebook. So for that reason, I'm very thankful, but, uh, Chihiro is a Japanese woman who works at a small beachside bento shop, Noko, Noko Noko Bento and becomes a popular figure in the city. The movie is a drama, even though the description kind of sounds like a comedy, and it's directed by Rikiya Imaizumi. Apologies if I get that name mispronounced. But this is a film that looks very intriguing, and it's a film I might see, but I won't guarantee it. But if I do see it, I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. And finally, the movie that will be premiering on Friday, February 24th, is a movie that is actually a comedy, and it's called We Have a Ghost. And We Have a Ghost, and thank God this internet is kicking in right now because it's been giving me trouble all through this podcast. It's a film that stars Jennifer Coolidge, David Harbour of, um, of... Stranger Things fame, but he's also been in some other good movies and TV shows as well. Also co-stars Tig Notaro, Anthony Mackie, Faith Ford, Steve Coulter, and several other actors. And this is a film that is an adventure comedy that's also, surprisingly enough, a family movie, even though many of the actors I just mentioned uh, are in mainly adult films, or films that pertain to adults, not like pornographic films. But It's based on um, a novel that's named Ernest that was written by uh, Geoff Manoff. And it's about um, a family who's um, haunted by a ghost who lives in their house by the name of Ernest. And it turns this family into overnight social media sensations. But when a young boy by the name of Kevin and Ernest investigate the mystery of Ernest's past, they become a target of the CIA. So it sounds kind of outlandish, and it also sounds a little bit like E.T. in terms of theme. But it's a movie that looks uh, very intriguing, and I am very interested in seeing this film. It's a film that I probably will see, and I'll let you know what I think on next week's show if I do see it. So in terms of original movies, that's all that's going to be premiering on Netflix for that week. And on Apple TV, and I'm very thankful for this, there are no films that are going to be premiering on Friday, February 24th. There was one original film that premiered on February 17th, uh, 2023, which has since passed. And that movie is called Sharper, but I don't have Apple TV, so I won't be able to tell you what is uh, what sharper is about or i can't make a promise that i will see it either 
On Disney Plus, there are no original films that are going to be premiering on February 22nd or February 24th. There are a lot of series, and there are several films that have already made an appearance on Disney Plus, but I'm not going to get into those. On HBO Max, there are no original films. I, I guess you can sense sort of a pattern here in terms of what I'm going to, going to be talking about for the next 10 minutes. However, the movie Gravity will be premiering on uh, HBO Max on Thursday, February 23rd. So if you have not seen Gravity, I highly recommend it. I don't know if it's going to be the same. I, oh, oh, I take that back. It's not going to be the same kind of experience as seeing it in movie theaters. And I saw it back when it came out almost 10 years ago. And I not only saw it in the movies, I saw it in 3D. And man, whew, uh, for somebody who is very afraid of heights and probably wouldn't be floating in space, um, I was absolutely mystified by the movie Gravity, um, mystified, mesmerized, and also very intrigued. And I absolutely loved it. I definitely highly recommend it. I don't know if I recommend it for the small screen, though. But if you are interested in seeing it, it is on HBO Max on Thursday, February 23rd. I'm not going to review it for you because I've already reviewed it for a much, much earlier show. But anyway, on the next streaming platform is uh, it's going to be Hulu and there are a bunch of movies that are going to be appearing on the platform for the week of February 20th through February 24th. And none of them are actually Hulu originals, but there are several movies that are going to be appearing on the platform. Uh, one of the movies is a film called a million little pieces and I don't know if this is based on the controversial memoir that ended up being a hoax that was written earlier, but I also don't know if it is a new movie or not, but, oh, actually I take that back. When I said there wasn't any Hulu originals or original movies, I should say, there is actually one that's premiering on the platform that's called Bruiser. And this is classified as a made-for-TV movie, although the uh, made-for-TV movies and theatrical films have blurred lines ever since, most especially ever since the pandemic. But A Million Little Things is a movie that came out in 2018, and amongst the people who are in the movie include Romani Malco, amongst other actors, who I can't read right now because... This internet is being so obnoxiously slow right now, and I don't know why, but I'll take it for what it is. And A Million Little Things is actually a miniseries, not a movie, but it's about a group of friends who become motivated to live fuller lives after the unexpected death of a close friend, which sounds a lot like The Big Chill, but this is a series that's going to be premiering on Hulu or appearing on Hulu. And it's also um, it, it originally aired on um, ABC, interestingly enough. But let me look up the movie Bruiser because this is actually a Hulu original. And thank God the internet is actually working very well for me right now at the moment. Thank you for um, choosing uh, this on uh, 
going with me on this, but it's not only a Hulu original, but it's also an Onyx original, O-N-Y-X. And this is a movie about a 14-year-old boy who turns to a charismatic loner for help after being beaten up in director, in director Miles Warren's searing feature debut about fathers, families, and the effects of fighting. It sounds like it's gotten some very um, heavy themes here. But the movie stars uh, Jalen Hall as the young man Darius. Also co-stars uh, Travante Rhodes, uh, Shamir Anderson, and Chanel Azora amongst other people. None of these actors I am directly familiar with, but it definitely sounds like a very intriguing premise. And Bruiser is a film that I will seek out because it sounds really intense, but I will let you know what I think on next week's show. Uh, if I see it, that is. There's another film that will be premiering on Netflix, excuse me, on Hulu, for on um, February 24th, it will, uh, excuse me, it will be appearing on Nef- uh, Hulu, not uh, premiering. The movie is called Prisoners of the Sun, and this is a film that came out in 2013. It is considered a made-for-TV movie, but it stars John Reese davis David Charvette, and Carmen Chaplin. And it is a, uh, it's about a multinational expedition that discovers a lost city beneath a pyramid where they must stop the reawakened gods of ancient Egypt from initiating the apocalypse. Uh, Yeah, sounds like a very intense film, and it sounds like one of those films that I might see, I can't guarantee it, but I'll let you know what I think if I see it on next week's show. Another film that will be appearing on Hulu is a film that's called The Reef Stalked, and I can't exactly give you the entire description for this film, but I'll try to get to it as quickly as I can with this wonky internet that is really stalling on me right now, but I only have a short amount of time. So while the internet is working on me, uh, really testing my patience, I might as well keep telling you that The Reef Stalked is one of the films that will be appearing on Hulu in addition to two other films that I didn't get into the description to because I might not get um, entirely enough time to do so. But the other two films are Spin Me Round and 211. Maybe it's called 211, maybe it's called 211, but those are the other two films that will be appearing on Hulu. So I'm sorry that I can't get into other descriptions other than that, but the wonky internet is keeping me from doing so, but hopefully the internet will be better for me on next week's show. But either way, I've got a lot of movies to review for you, and I might not even get to those other films for next week's show because I might actually dedicate next week's show to the Oscar nominees for Best animated short, best live action short, and best documentary short subject. Those are blocks of films that are airing at my local art house theater, which in my case is the Belcourt Theater, which is one of my favorite theaters here in Nashville. It's probably my very favorite, but I will let you know what I think about the films that I do review on next week's show or on a future show. 
Well, that's all the time I have for this episode of Words on Film. I always love talking about movies, and I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please subscribe and rate the show and leave comments if you can. I would love to get your feedback, even if it's more criticism than praise. This has been Words on Film. I'm Dan Burke, and until my next episode, I'll see you at the movies.